How's everybody doing? Amen. Wonderful. That's, that's the right thing. Wonderful. Our life is a wonderful event, really. It's a wonderful journey. Amen. If it weren't for God, I don't know where we would be. Thank God. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. For today, this morning, turn with me to Genesis 15, please. Genesis chapter 15. Um, a few weeks ago when I preached about the Hebrew anointing, Dodie came up to me at the end and she mentioned, uh, I think she t told me prophetically, she said, you ought to teach on the giants that the Israelites had to face before they inherited the promised land. So and the Lord kept impressing me upon me to just teach on this. And I'm going to, my topic today is the 10 nations or 10 giants you have to defeat before you inherit your promises. Amen, Amen somebody. Hallelujah. All right, turn with me to Genesis 15. And uh, I think it's from starting verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram replied, O Lord God, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Everybody say, ten seasons. See, uh, what happened here is Abraham, the last time he met with God, it, ten years had lapsed already. Okay? And Abraham, like you and me, have gotten weary in his faith. And because he has not seen the type of manifestation that he thought he should have seen by now, he gets weary. He gets weary. So God shows up here in this 15th chapter. God shows up here to confirm to him that I don't want you to be weary. I don't want you to worry. I got you. When you see, whenever, I don't know how many of you have experienced this, whenever you begin to doubt, whenever you begin to start getting weary, especially about the promises and the plans of God over your life, he sends you a word. I've gotten this over and over. Whenever I hit a wall, he would send a prophet or he would give me a unique word to get me out of my weariness. He gives a revelation of his word to Abraham right here. He says, Abram, I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. Do not worry. You know, some of us have gone through this over and over again. Whenever we thought we were ready for a promotion or whenever we were ready to get a financial breakthrough, we think our condition should have been changed by now. And when it's not happening, and God begins to detect that we are getting weary, <laughs> he would send a word. See, things don't always happen in our season and timing. Even though we really want it to happen in our timing and our season, God has a plan through that process of waiting. Hmm. But whenever God begins to detect that you're getting weary, he sends you a word. A word. Just like he sent to Abraham. Psalm 107 says, he sent his word to deliver them from their destructions. His word 
that is sharper than a double-edged sword is sent forth to deliver us from our destructions. Beyond human logic, beyond medical science, beyond all the infrastructures of the world, God's word can override any ruling of man anytime. That's the power of the word of God. When God sends a word of healing, you're healed, no matter what <laughs> report said about you a few days ago. Hmm. So we deal with Abraham's weariness here. We also see Abraham's reasoning. Abraham was so weary. It was 10 years. God told him that he's going to have a child and all that, but nothing has happened yet. So God comes to him in a vision, says, do not be afraid. But then what happens? There's a word, but, right there. But God, but Abraham starts to reason with God. He says, but, what is it? Oh, Lord God, he asked four questions. First questions, first question, what are you going to give me? So God already gave him a word now, but Abraham is not satisfied with that alone. He's continuing to reason with God, even though he just received a word. And he says, what are you going to give me? First question. Second thing he raises, the fact that he is childless. See, back in the days, having no children is like an insult in the society. In the Eastern, Middle Eastern uh, world, it's very different from this Western world. Having a child is an honor in the Eastern society. And when you're childless, no matter how much wealth you have, it's an insult. It is a disgrace in the Middle Eastern societies. So he asks, he, he raises the fact that, God, I'm childless. And number three, he asks, is Eliezer my servant going to be my heir? God just sent him a word, but he ain't fully convinced yet. He's continuing to reason with God. And fourth thing he says, how do I actually, if you read the verses below that you can see, he talks about how do I know I'm going to inherit the land? Because God promises two things, an heir, and then he also promises land. Two things he promises, heir and land. He, he promises two things, spiritual and natural blessings. God is not just concerned about your spiritual welfare only. He also is concerned about his children's natural welfare. You know, many people I've heard saying, God doesn't care about where you live and where you work. That's not true. He's concerned about your welfare in the natural realm as well. The land signifies really the natural realm. Your well-being. That's why I, the book of John, 1 John, it says, Brethren, I wish that you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. So it's not just spiritual. You know, sometimes we Christians get, tend to get too spiritual and ignore the natural. No, 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 no. Yes, God can still heal, but also pay attention to what the doctor says when he says to take some medicine. God can work through the medicine also. So don't skip the natural. Don't, break, don't act too spiritual where you ignore the natural either. And, but the world is the other extreme. They become too, too relied on the natural and they ignore the spiritual. No, we got to have a fine balance. Hmm. So here we see in verse 4 and 5, Abraham's 
Now, verse 7, actually, if we could jump to verse 7, he says, Abraham's reasoning. Whenever you reason with God, it's an evidence of your doubt. You, you doubt God. And it's natural to doubt God. There, you know, even the best of the best. Abraham was the father of what? The father of faith. So God's reply to Abraham's reasoning, if you, if you read this Genesis 15, his response to Abraham's reasoning was through establishing a blood covenant. Because Abraham was really operating in what before this? Before the covenant. He was operating in hope. He hoped. He said, you know what, God? I know you can do it. I hope. But then it was mixed with what? It was contaminated with doubt. So he had the, I hope so. I'm going to pray hard. I hope that God will come through. But it was contaminated by doubt. Hope if it's only mixed with doubt, it is useless. This is why the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Come on, everybody say that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, hope cannot survive without faith. If doubt is contaminating your hope, it's not going to take you much. So hope says what? I hope so. But faith says what? I know so. You got to know that God is going to come through. From I hope so, you got to transition to what? I know so. Even a very good Pentecostal charismatic Christians, we are still in the borderline of I hope so. I hope so. I hope God will come through. That ain't enough. This morning we got to make that transformation, the transition in inner man. From I hope so, to I know so. Hallelujah. So when God made the blood covenant with Abraham, Abraham moved from hope so, to I know so. Because if you re really read the covenant, the way it was established, Abraham was like, my God, this is all on God now. The whole covenant was established in a, fa in a fashion where God said, you put the whole money on me here. I got you. So Abraham moved from I hope so to I know so. Hmm. So hope cannot survive without what? Without faith. So let's continue. Genesis 15, 5, verse 7, The Lord took him outside and said, Now look to the heavens and count the stars, if you're able. Can you count the stars, anybody? <laughs> no. Then he declared, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 7, The Lord also told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. Here's where the, land, the promise of land. So the promise of an heir... And the promise of land, spiritual and natural blessings promised by a covenant that God established where God is held accountable fully. So that Abraham doesn't have any shadow of doubt that the promises are going to come to fulfillment. So when you have, uh, when you're at your leisure time, read Genesis 15, you'll see the power of God's covenant in this process. We, we looked at that already. 
And when you continue to, in Genesis 15, jump to verse 18, here's where our main topic today. It says, on the same day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he goes on to say, the Kenites, the Kenesites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Handful or mouthful. Talks about 10 giants. He says, I've given you the promised land, but you got to defeat these 10 giants. Or 10 nations, actually. And we're going to look at what the meaning of these 10 nations are. So that because it's very relevant for our spiritual journey today, many of us are not able to cross over because we haven't dealt with these nations, or these nations represent evil spirits or the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and the high places. If you have to call, if you want to qualify for your next level, if you want to move to your promises, you have to know how to deal with these. They are very prevalent today as well. We talk about Jezebel's spirit today. Jezebel was dead in, back in the Old Testament, but the spirit, Jezebel's spirit is what? It's still prevalent. It's operating. Similarly, the Kenite spirit, the Kenazite spirit, the Cadmonites are all still operating. And you have to know how to deal with them and how to take possession of the land. Hallelujah. So you might ask, why did the Lord leave all these nations? Why didn't he just give them the promised land? In Judges 3, 1 says, these are the nations that the Lord left to test all the Israelis who had not known any of the war in Canaan. See, God wants to teach us warfare strategies. If you had no enemies, you wouldn't understand the power of God. And so he leaves all these obstacles in front of you so that he can teach your hands to war, fingers to battle. So these 10 nations were still in possession of the promised land. And as I mentioned, today these 10 nations represents 10 giants or 10 seasons that you have to overcome or go through before you get to your promise. Everybody say 10 seasons. So we are going to look at one by one. I'm going to only cover five today. Hopefully in the future I'll cover the remaining five. But I want you to learn how to, on your way to your promised land, how to, how to specifically target each one of these enemies that already might have come against you. Okay? And uh, so you, this might strike a resemblance here. Deuteronomy 7 again says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, it goes on to say that. He says seven nations here, greater and stronger than you, when the, when the Lord your God delivers them before you, and you defeat them. He says you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no favor to them. See, for some of the reasons why generational curses are passed on from one generation to another is because the previous generation didn't deal with some of these. So the current generation have to again fight the same thing the forefathers and mama and papa had to fight. And but so here you look at the end here, it says, You shall utterly destroy these enemies. Not leave them even a remnant of them. The reason being so that your kids, your grandkids, don't have to worry about this. If you don't fight them, it's going to be a continuous cycle over and over. And some generations or some family line, some you've seen that. 
They had to deal with the same demons the grandparents had to deal with. That's because somebody didn't take the due diligence to completely wipe these devils out. It says, you shall make no covenant and show no favor, no mercy. There's no mercy to the enemy. When I say enemy, especially the evil spirits. You know, I saw recently a slogan. It says, strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. <laughs> you got to strike first. Don't wait till the devil strike you. Strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. We're not talking about fighting people here. You got to get in the prayer closet and cut down some roots, generational roots and other stuff that has been pestering and bothering you for a long time. Jesus. You shall utterly destroy them, the Bible says. Now you might be spiritual, but if you don't know what's been bothering your generations, you're just a blind person. You're a blind spiritual person. We who are in covenant with God got to make sure our kids, our grandkids don't have to suffer the same bogus that we went through. You have to be violent in the spirit to enter, to first of all get intelligence, prophetic intelligence as to what's going on here. And the prophets of the house will reveal this has been going on for three generations. You have to do this and cut this off your bloodline. You have to utterly destroy these spirits. Hallelujah. So the first one, let's look at it. The ten nations, the first nation is the Kenites. Everybody say the Kenites. Kenites are belonging actually to the forefather whose name was Cain. Everybody know Cain? Cain and Abel, the first murderer in the Bible. And the Hebrew word Kenite is, uh, in the, the English word is smith. You know, he's a smith. He's a crafty craft, a smith. They're known for trickery, known for deception, known for lies. They also do covert operations. They do operations in the hiding. They're not always visible. They try to fly low under the radar and wreck a havoc. Before you find it, it would be too late sometimes. That's how Kenite spirits operate. They belong to their forefather or father Cain, the murderer. But the Kenite spirit, the specialty is this. It's, they are the destroyer spirits. They are out there to steal. As John Tenton says, the thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So they just want to completely destroy, whether it's your health, it's your emotions. They want to wreck a havoc in your finances. They will seek to destroy your mind. But see, God allows us to go through a Kenite season. The reason I bring this up again is, these are the seasons that you would have to go through before you can qualify for your Canaan, your promised land. So there's no escaping this. Now, if you want to escape, you will never inherit the promise, though. If you have a destiny in God, you will face these giants. The faster you face these giants, the faster you're going to be entering into your promise. Now you can take a detour and say, I don't want to face any of these. 
I'm going to sit in my home. Guess what? That's okay. The devil is more, very happy with that. You would have a trouble-free life, but a useless life. In Christianity, this is all-out war, my friends. If you're not ready for battle, if you haven't worn the full armor of God and have not having a soldier mindset, you are a sore loser. No, I'm not laughing. Jesus said it this way. You are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So it's your choice. Are you going to wear your armor, or are you going to be like those cowards? You remember Gideon had an army. First call, how many came? 20,000 or so came. And he said, hey, guys, listen. If any of you are afraid of your life, just leave. Guess what? How many were left? 300. Everybody left. Fear. Don't want to fight the uh, battle. It's not that God is not an equal opportunity employer. He's got promises for everybody. But many are not inheriting the promise because this would require a fight. You got to be bold as a lion and fight the fight of faith. You cannot just say, I hope so, but you got to transition to, I know so. Come on, somebody tell your neighbor, I know so. You got to be so confident in who you are in God and whose you are. Hallelujah. So the Kenite spirit, they are the, they're called the destroyers. They want to completely wipe you out. No mercy. They are out there to see if they can completely finish your family line. Thank you, Jesus. So God allows you to, allows you to go through a Kenite season. But you know why he does that? Just to show the devil that his, his saints, his people, will praise him anyhow. He doesn't allow the Kenite season for everybody. He allows his Kenite season for his beloved faithful saints just to show the enemy that my people will praise me even without a dime in their pocket. That's the that's characteristic of the people of God. Amen. Even when the enemy unleashes the whole hell against the people, the genuine people of God, they will praise God anyhow. You know, when my wife was in the hospital, my six-year-old got into, he was baptized in the spirit in the hospital floor. And when he got up, one of the visions, one of the prophetic words he gave mom was, Mom, this was just a test. God wants to see how many times you will praise him during the day. <laughs> how many times would you praise him despite this test that you're going through? And you know, my wife, even before he said this word, she's a praiser. She was just praising through the whole thing. The nurses would be wondering, what's going on in this woman? <laughs> she's smiling, she's praising, she's up, upbeat. That's the inheritance of the saints of God. We'll praise through and come out of it. Hallelujah. See, even, when, even Job, I don't know if you know about Job. Job had a Kenite season. They tried to kill his family. They tried to destroy his body. His reputation. He saw all hell and high water. But what did he say? Anybody remember what Job said? Let's go to Job. Yes, though he slay me, he, I will trust in him. That's one verse. But he also says, 
He talks about refinement. I, I don't have the words with me here. He says, though I can't, I think I might, I might have it. Let's see that. There it is. He says, if I go east, he's not there. He was at a season where he couldn't find God. He just didn't know where God was. He said, if I go east, he's not there. If I go west, I cannot find him. I do not see God in the north, for he's hidden. I look to the south, but he's concealed. But then he says, yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will come forth out as gold. That was Job's faith. He said, I'm going to come out of it refined, purified. Worth more than precious gold. Apostle Peter says that your faith would go through fiery test. It will be tested. Just to prove that what material you are made of. The people of God would stand and when the smoke clears, they are still there. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands and just praise God for that. Yes, Lord. Hmm. So the Kenite spirit wants to just completely wipe you out. Next one is the Kenesites. Everybody say Kenesites. The Kenesite spirit, the word beating Kenesite is not sure, perplexed. Not sure or perplexed. That's a second season or second giant you have to face as you qualify for your Canaan, your promised land. This is the phase when you're questioning everything. You're not even sure that you are, you are where God wants you to be. You're dealing with perplexity. You are confused. Now you might, check, you might ask this question, am I on the right path? Have I taken up the right job or the right wife? or what? I don't know what it is. But you are perplexed. You're not sure about anything when you are fighting this genocide spirit. You're second-guessing yourself. Looks like you've messed up again and again. But you know what? It's a season. Don't get lost when you are fighting the second spirit, which is the genocide spirit. It wants to completely perplex you and confuse you and take you out of tangent. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.8. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Trouble on every side. You might not be certain of where you are, but God told me this morning, son, I got you right where I want you to be. Same thing with my, the saints here. God, God's got you right where he wants you to be. You might be wondering what's going on. This is a season. The Kenesite season. See, one thing I can be certain of when it comes to the people of God is that he walks with us. He covers us under the shadow of his wings. You don't have to worry about if you're behind schedule or ahead of schedule, but just know that the Lord is, a, the Lord is our shepherd. He's got us right on time. Hallelujah. So the Kenesite spirit, what is it? The spirit that brings confusion and perplexity. 
But see, how do you overcome this? You got to remind yourself about your past. The same God that brought you out in the past is going to bring you out again. You know, there was a heavy rain. I remember when I went to Oxford one day to visit a friend. And when we returned, just couldn't see anything. The rain was so heavy. I was like, either I had to stop in the midst of this heavy rain or just take a, you know, the, the, the right lane path, the slow path, just drive slowly. And, you know, I was praying and I felt the Lord said, just keep moving, keep moving. And guess what? A few minutes later, as I kept moving, the rain cleared. The enemy wants us to stay confused, stay perplexed, but you got to just keep moving. You got to keep moving. You can't stay in the same zone and have these heavy rains pour on top of you. So in other words, many a times the enemy wants you to be isolated and stuck in this confusion zone. But what we walk by? Faith. We do not walk by sight. You don't have to see everything or you don't have to feel everything to do God's will. You didn't feel like going to work yesterday, but you still went to work. Right? So, we, you know, even with Christianity, we don't have to feel before we have to do stuff, my friends. Do the right thing always. That's why Apostle Paul says, do not be weary in well-doing. Do the right thing. Even when it's not popular, even when you don't feel like it, just do it. And in due season, you will reap. Hallelujah. So this Kenesite season is a season of uncertainty when you're not sure or where you're with God, what's, what's happening. Best direction is keep moving. Keep going with your routine. Don't try to figure it all out. It's okay. And remember, remind yourself of the past, how God brought you out of many things. He paid your bills yesterday. The same God didn't allow your enemies to swallow you up yesterday. You're still here. So each one of these, as I said, we covered two nations, the Canaanites and the Canaanites. Each one of these nations prophetically represent a giant or a season that you have to overcome before you can qualify for your Canaan. You have to be able to fight uncertainty and perplexity in your life and come out of it so that you can go to the next level. Third one, the Cadmonites. Everybody say the Cadmonites. So Kenites, Kenazites, Cadmonites. Now you got to understand all this is allowed by God. Even though these are enemy forces, God requires us to go and possess the land fighting these spirits or these nations. Again, the reason why he does it is to just show what his people are made of. No matter what comes against you, you are made up of superior DNA and material in God to overcome it all. So the third one is the Cadmonites. The Cadmonites, the meaning is nothing but Easterners. Easterners. And actually, if you study what Easterners did, they were skilled in witchcraft. Witchcraft and divination. Witchcraft has plagued churches and Christians all over the world like never before. I don't know how many of you know what dark, cruel, uh, cru cruel things are being done on earth through witchcraft. Sudden tragedy, sudden death, diseases, all sorts of mental wreckage 
Even, you know, I suspect a lot of these mass shootings that happen in schools and stuff like that, one kid instigated by witchcraft. Witchcraft can manipulate your mind, take over your emotions. You might have been a good husband for several years, suddenly you want to shoot your wife and die. Suddenly you are not happy with your wife, or a wife is not happy with your husband. All these in, in, negative emotions triggered by black magic and witchcraft and voodoo. You would, you would be amazed at the level of influence witchcraft can have on an average person. It'll try to completely cripple you. And lately, this has been very prevalent, which is trying to take out Christian churches and societies. Even there's been witchcraft against President Trump. But guess what all the arrows against Trump going to? To his cabinet members. A lot of them have been falling off, but he's been still there. <clears throat> now they're trying to impeach him. They're trying to impeach Trump. I'm not standing for any political party here, but what I'm saying is Satan would use his agents to carry out his plans. And if church is not doing our job, our duty, they're going to prevail. No matter how good of a Christian you are, how much of a tongue talker you are, if you're not doing the due diligence to counter this attack, they're going to prevail. So the Cadmonites is none other than those who are skilled in witchcraft. So there is a season in our spiritual life when God would even allow some of these witchcraft spells to just come against us. I went through a season years ago. So in my first 10 years or so, I really didn't experience this kind of attack. But as I was, trans as, as I was moving through my spiritual journey, I started to experience witchcraft attacks. I didn't even know it was witchcraft until prophetically some of my mentors told They've been doing stuff against you. They've been taking your name. They just need something. You know, if you, this is why you do not share all your details with everybody. Your friends might come and say, hey, Vicky, so tell me your date of birth, and I'm going to send you a good gift, and what time of the day you were born. They want to know all the details. Oh, yeah. You'll be surprised. You might think it's innocent. And most of the people will just give all this information. What's your grandchild's name? What's their middle name? They want to lock you up. Lock up destinies, lock up generational blessings. It's, it's worse than what you know. The psalmist says the dark, cruel habitations where so much evil is being done. If we didn't have the protective covering of God, my friends, none of us would be sitting here. The kind of arrow that flies for, through witchcraft is deadly, especially in Memphis area. It's been a seat of witchcraft and black magic. It's been a very dark place. That's why Memphis, no matter what they've tried over the years to come back up, something will happen to knock it down. Memphis should have been the Chicago, but never happened. And every time Memphis starts to come back up, something or the other. Because there are some deep seats of witchcraft and black magic that the church needs to uproot and destroy. Church of this region. That's why even Apostle Clay, you know why he didn't plant a church in Memphis? I talked to him about this. He said, when he prayed, God said, move out of Memphis. Go, a, a, come to a city that is close to Memphis and plant your church, he said. We got to stand, just like the Israelis' warfare, they had to stand against the city and fight. So we had to move out of the city. South Haven ain't far from Memphis, but South Haven is not in Tennessee, is not in Memphis. 
It was a strategy that the Lord gave him. Come to Mississippi and plant right across the city. That's not just a, a random coincidence. The Lord gave him a strategy to do that. Mississippi doesn't have that kind of a spiritual stronghold like Memphis does, whether you know it or not. So, whether it's Memphis or any other city, what I'm trying to say is, there is a season when God would allow you to fight this. Cadmonites. It's a season. Isaiah, but the reason he allows that is just to show you this. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that riseth up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness of me, saith the Lord. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. In other words, the original intent, or the, the real intent of the enemy through witchcraft and through this is complete destruction. But when God says, I will not let it prosper against you, what he's saying is, I will let, not let that original intent to prosper. Many a times he wants to finish us up. We, we might get attacked though. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. We might still get attacked, but the original intent is not prospered. We'll never die. We will not be slayed by this. But definitely we'll feel the heat of this. See, there is a saying in, uh, uh, about uh, non-venomous snakes. They say even if non-venomous snakes bite you, you still have to skip your dinner. Meaning, you'll have, when I say skip dinner, you'll have to go on some days without any food because the, the anti-venom has to work through and all that. Even though, even though it's a non-venomous snake, it might still affect you if it bites you. What does the original intent of a snake bite? To kill you. But it, it's not going to kill you. The witchcraft, this witchcraft that comes against you is not going to kill you, but it'll still disturb you. It'll still try to hinder you. Hallelujah. So when Balaam and Balak, I don't know if you heard about the story of Balaam, but the king Balak said, hey, can we curse Israel? And his strategy was to do witchcraft against Israel. And God said, you can't curse what I have blessed. You can't curse what I have blessed. I'm already blessed. I'm already anointed. And this is where this verse comes. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. They are going to try. Weapon is going to come against you. But it's not going to reach the full intent of what it wanted to do. It wanted to take you out, but it can't. It will still affect you though. I've gone through the heat of it. It will still affect, but it will not absorb the full intent. And not only that, you're going to condemn these spells and curses that comes against you. You're going to condemn it. That's why he says, every tongue that rises up against you will be condemned. See, whenever you feel or experience negativity, you got to stand up and bind it. You got to break it. You should not leave it unaddressed. Anytime you know your kids are going through a crazy behavior cycle, just say, in the name of Jesus, I cancel every word spoken against them. I condemn every word spoken against my family. I break every spell. You got to do it in the name of Jesus. Because this is a really a war of words. If you look at it, human race communications is such a pivotal thing. Even before you take a sword, what is the word has carries a great power. And especially if the people of God operates and takes the sword of the Spirit of God, 
there is effect. There is definitely result. So do not shy away when you see negative patterns in your family, in your society, in your community. You got to be the priest that declares a word over it. You got to bind. You got to break. You got to lose. You got to cast out. You got to release even your angels. You got to call upon the angels of the Most High God to be released to pull down some of the evil foundations that is hindering you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So now these three giants, which is the Kenites, the Kenesites, and the Cadmonites, by the time of Moses, they are not even mentioned in the land. You know why? Because the Israelites took care of them, the forefathers. So these three giants were wiped out by the time Moses' time came. They didn't have to fight about, against these three anymore. But however, the remaining ones were still there. Moses had to fight it. The fourth one is Hittites. Everybody say Hittites. Hittites means terror. Terror. Sudden attack causing fear. From nowhere, sudden attack. Dread, dismay. The Hittite spirits want to cause terror in your life. It wants to scare you. These were the giants. Hittites were the giants who brought fear, confusion, and discouragement to others. Hittites. Psalm 91 verse 5 says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. So what are, what's, what's, what's the uh, psalm saying? There are two things that happens. There is terror, and there is arrow. But the covenantal people don't have to fear this Hittite spirit. It's going to come against you because this is another giant on your way to the promised land that you have to conquer. The Hittite spirit. Sudden terror. Sudden dreadful news. You're like, what is this suddenly going on at work or family or community? The Hittite spirit. Don't be afraid. Bible says, do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed, for I, the Lord God, is with you. Be strong and be courageous. The Hittite spirit. You have to overcome the Hittite spirit. It's a season when they will come against you with great terror. How will you fight it? The Bible says, you are actually even says in the, Psalm, uh, in the New Covenant, it says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Hittite spirit. How do you overcome it? You stand strong in faith. You are not moved by the terror that you see, the news that you hear, nor the arrow that flies by day. And the fifth one, and we'll close with this, is the parasites. Everybody say the parasites. Parasites, the Hebrew word meaning is rustic, an open area with no people. It's like an open desert. Parasites. A season when it appears you are all alone. The parasite spirit. This is the lonely face of your journey. Even when you're riding up an elevator, you, even with lots of people, you feel all alone. The parasite season. The Hebrew root word comes from meaning to separate. This is one of the main ways the powers of Satan 
can affect us through separation from our place in God. The parasite spirit. When you feel all alone, you feel like you are the, the only one who understands what's going on. The parasites. Hallelujah. Now Abraham, the Bible says, was called how? Alone. And he was given a lot of baggage to carry while he was transitioning through this alone phase. And we, we as a people have the tendency to resist this parasite season. Because we are called alone. And most of the time, we don't want to be alone. We, this is the time when the temptation hits hard to just gravitate towards all sorts of people. When you are going through this lonely phase, there is a temptation to maybe commit sin, to hang out with the wrong people, and do all sorts of stuff. But you have to overcome this as you are moving on in this journey of fulfilling your promises. The parasites. The desert season. You have to overcome it. Again, this is just a season. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So the psalmist, whether it's David, Daniel, Abraham, all were called alone. They had to go through the parasite season. This was not easy. A lot of heavy burden, but you have to transition out of this parasite season. Tabitha, would you come and let's close it out. Come on, stand up for a second. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Come on, just thank the Lord for the revelation this morning. Thank you for revealing to us the giants that we have to overcome on our journey to qualifying for our next level. Fighting the Kenites, the Kenesites, the Parasites, the Cadmonites. Hallelujah. Every witchcraft, every work of the devil. We see, we are not faced, we are not intimidated by any work of the enemy. We are bold as lions. We cut down, we pull down. We release angels to uproot. We've seen so many tactics, my friends. You know, I've gone through years of seeing so much things of the enemy. But we stand strong. Why? We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Deb, did you want to get blow the rope? Okay. Come on, Ira. Hallelujah. Come on, as we blow the shofar this morning, we're going to rout out the enemies that are in our land. As a prophetic sign, let's just blow the shofar warning to our enemies that we are coming. We are going to cross over and we are going to take possession of our land. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, clap your hands. Hallelujah. Brother Duane, come on. Pray. Father, we thank you 
Father, we lift our hands as a sign of victory. Father, we lift our hands as a sign of receiving. Oh God, we stand in the mighty name of Jesus. We identify with the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Lord, seated at the right hand of you, Father, as he forevermore make intercession for the saints. Father, we receive the fullness of favor, favor from you, oh God. We receive the fullness of your operation, oh God. We receive the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, oh God. Without measure, oh God, we thank you, Father, that as today rolls around, oh God, that we will walk that walk as kingdom conquerors, O oh God, that are not fearing any man, not fearing any spirit, O oh God, for you have not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, O oh God, of love and a sound mind, Father. Father, the blood of Jesus, that speaketh the better things than that of Abel, O oh God, is speaking victorious for us, is speaking victory for us, O oh God, and we celebrate you, O oh God, we celebrate you, O oh God, we celebrate you, O oh God, hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Go on.